0: Uh, I, I preached this sermon last week in Whitewater, and I didn't know if I wanted to do it here. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to do it there. Even I, 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 uh, I just have to be really vulnerable about some of the things that God's been doing in my life, and and uh, there's a f- a bunch of reasons why I didn't want to necessarily go into it, but but I, I feel like. The Lord has just been pressing on me, like, you, you have to tell this story. You have to tell people what's going on. And, and I want to pre-qualify this sermon with, with a statement to you guys, and that's always fun when, when you have to, like, pre-qualify stuff. And nobody in this room in any way, shape, or form needs to feel guilty about what happens in my story. And I, I want to really, really clarify that. It is really important that you understand that no single person in this room needs to feel guilty or condemned. That's actually from the enemy, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But the... but the. Oh, I don't want to say it. I'm just going to say it. Um, I, had a, I had a rough childhood, man. I really did. And, uh, I uh, overcame that, that tough stuff in my life with humor. I, I, I grew up really insecure. I grew up really challenged because of the color of my skin. And it, it was really hard and, and I actually, there was a lot of things that I saw happen in, in the community that I grew up in. I, I was adopted, um, my, my dad adopted me, I grew up with my biological mom, and I basically grew up in a white community. And I, the, the reason why I'm talking about this and the reason why I'm pre-qualifying all of this stuff is because what happened to me, none of you guys did. Nobody in this room made me feel the way that I did. But, but I grew up with shame because of the color of my skin. I grew up, um, I didn't like myself. I didn't like the fact that I was colored. Um, I wanted to be white. I wanted to blend in. And it was because there was people who spoke things over me and over other people of color where I grew up that caused me to feel shame. I grew up next to an Indian reservation with an 80% alcoholic rate, 80% unemployment rate, um, and, and that was viewed very poorly. And I would get clumped into that because of the color of my skin. I guess in Nebraska that meant that you were Native American. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to take that, but I don't want to be associated with, with that life. I want to be lo- left alone. I don't want people to look at me and think that I'm alcoholic or unemployed or, or whatever the case may be and and so I just just assimilated I, I, I tried to act as white as possible um, and I'm not gonna lie to you guys I was super successful at that <laughs> like uh, you hear people all the time say man Joe's the whitest Middle Eastern guy I've ever met <laughs> you know like so I was like in my mind I'm like success you know I grew up in, in the eighth grade. Uh, I was in eighth grade when 9-11 happened and I remember sitting in the lunchroom um, watching the, the news report saying that Al-Qaeda had taken over and it was, it was Al-Qaeda's fault, you know, the terrorist group from the Middle East and I was like, oh my gosh. In eighth grade, I understood what that meant for me. Like, holy cow, my life just got weird and hard. I get l- notes in my locker like, we know what you did you terrorist. And I was like, I was with you guys. Like, I wasn't. And so, I, I, throughout junior high and high school, I did everything I could to distance myself from the color of my skin. And, and I say that because this is what I've been going through in these last couple of weeks with, with the racial tension, with, with everything going on with the pandemic. I realized that. Like I had to come face to face with the fact that I do not like myself because I'm colored. I have shame because I'm colored. And so I asked God to start digging this. Why, why is that, God? Why do I feel this way? Like, like I, I remember the day that this revelation came out and I actually had to admit it. I went home and I'm just sobbing because I always cry. Everybody knows I'm not even gonna pretend, Right? <laughs> I came home and Nicole's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I hate myself. And the Lord started to dig it out. Why is this happening? And it it came down to the fact that I could not overcome what people were speaking about me or people like me. And and I I want you to hear me. This is not going to be a sermon about race. We're not going to go there right now. This is going to be actually a sermon about our words. The power of life and death is in our tongue. And, and I realized how important it was as believers to speak the words of life, to speak the words of Jesus, because you never know who's going to be affected by it. And so I pre-qualified this sermon by saying, any person in here, you do not need to feel guilty for what I went through. If you feel bad or you feel guilty, like just... Let's just celebrate because God showed me who I really am in him, right? Come on. Let's give it a, right? Like, I don't have to feel shame. None of you did this to me. Like, and, and, and before I move on, I'm actually going to say this, and it's not said a lot right now, but if we actually want to see true racial reconciliation, you individuals who are white in color need to understand that God made you and that your skin, your hair, your culture is an expression of the love of God just as much as anybody else's. Amen. Amen. And, and this is what it needs. This is how we're going to have true racial reconciliation. This is how we're going to have true reconciliation between God and man when the, when the words that we say reflect the heart of God in every situation. That is interdependent of your political views, the way that you grew up, or, or where, you, where, you just, where you just go in your mind. It, it's interdependent of all those things. It has to do with God's kingdom. It has to do with the life. That He has for us. And, and I want you to listen to this scripture in Proverbs chapter 18. It says, the tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. At first, I was scared by this verse. I love to talk. You know it, right? But this is actually only scary if what's coming out of your mouth is death, If what's coming out of your mouth is life and you love to talk, then you're going to reap those consequences because your words are going to reflect the heart of the Father. Amen? Come on, your words are going to reflect the heart of the Father. And so as scary as it is for me to talk about these things, this is actually not a heavy sermon this is actually not a heavy moment. This is actually a moment where we can rewire our hearts to understand and hear from God in such a way that when we speak, it advances the kingdom of heaven. So that when we speak, darkness rescends and it has no choice but to bow to the authority of Jesus because of the words that you speak. Amen? So we're going to get into this, right? Listen to this in James chapter 3. Is this? Yep. Yeah, cool. I didn't, I didn't work it out with her afterwards. Give it up for Ashley. She's awesome. It says this, Indeed, we all make mistakes. And everybody's like, mm-hmm. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. What? If we could control our tongues... Another translation says that we would not sin. If we could figure out how to control this thing in our mouth, we wouldn't sin. It wouldn't happen. When you read further in James, it says it's like, it's like the bit in the horse of a mouth that steers the horse or a rudder on a ship. This tiny little rudder, the smallest part of the whole thing moves a whole ship. In the same way, the tongue moves the body, right? The the tongue is so important. What you say actually matters. What you say actually has an impact, and I promise you it did for me. We need to understand what God is doing when we speak. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and speak what he's speaking, amen? Amen. Before we move on, I, I just want to talk about idle talk real quick. I think it's, it's really important, and I think that it happens too often in the church, and I'm not accusing you. I've been a part of it. I am part of the problem. <laughs> Every time I preach, it hits me so hard that I'm like, oh my gosh, should I even, am I qualified to say this? And the Lord's like, well, I live inside of you, so yeah, you should say this. It says this in 2 Timothy. So let's talk about idle talk. 2.16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. You see how closely that lines up with James 3:2. The more ungodly you speak, the more ungodly you become. You see this working? It says avoid idle talk. It actually, Paul tells Timothy between his two letters over eight times, I think eight or nine times to avoid godless chatter, to avoid idle talk. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says, I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Your words now reflect your fate then. Either you will be justified by them or you will be condemned. So this isn't even just words that you speak over people anymore, this is words that you speak that have an impact on you, right, you're either gonna be justified or condemned, and so it's so, so important, church, it's so, so important that we understand what we say matters, that what we talk about matters, that how we converse with each other matters, how we converse with unbelievers matters. Uh, Are you picking up the theme? It all matters. One thing that I really, really want to point out, because I've seen it the most, is I want to begin to identify a form of idle talk that is grossly misinterpreted in the church. I've seen it a hundred times, and it wasn't until I actually looked at the definition of this word that I really began to understand that this is a huge problem. And it's this idea of gossip. Gossip. I hear people talk about other people all the time, and they don't think that they're gossiping because they confuse the definition of gossip with the definition of slander. Well, I didn't say anything bad about that person. I love that person, but they're just over here blabbing their mouths, and I've done it. Actually, the Lord convicted me of it one time, and I was—I even went to the Lord. I'm like, God, I didn't say anything bad. I just said the truth. But listen to this definition of gossip. If if you're paying attention, it it might blow your mind like it did mine. Like I was like, uh. (laughs) Gossip, casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Did you hear that? (laughs) Casual or unrestrained conversation or reports about other people. It didn't say anything about talking bad about them. It didn't say anything about what the context of the conversation was. This is unconstrained conversation, casual. Let me give you an example. (laughs) Hey, do you hear about, uh, do you hear about Jake? Heard he was talking to somebody the other day. Well, was it his wife? I don't know, I didn't see her. Do you think he's having a a simple conversation, right? How many of you guys have gone down that road? hey, did you hear about this person? Well, why would they do that? The moment that the why would they do that or what was the purpose of this comes out, now you're judging motivation and intention. See, the difference between gossip and slander is that slander is specifically to cut someone down. But gossip is unrestrained conversation, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. And so now you start judging the motivation of somebody. You start judging the intention. Let's be honest. How many of you guys have been there? You're like, oh my gosh. I am a huge gossip. I was like, Lord, please forgive me. You see, the Bible actually separates the two words. It separates them. Why? Because both are different, but just as destructive. This is why we need to watch what comes out, right? Like don't judge somebody's motivation with other people if those facts aren't confirmed as being true. It's going to plant seeds of doubt, plant seeds of of interpretation of motivation inside people and it doesn't belong there. It creates destruction in the body. It creates division in the body. Gossip is a dangerous thing and we need to avoid it at all costs. And it is so hard. Uh, here's another example. Hey, do you hear about so-and-so? Uh, yeah, they're struggling with this. We should pray for them. Come on. It got real quiet. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, No. My wife and I talked about this and we, we were trying to figure out what's the difference between gossip and, and like celebrating and praising something that somebody has done, right? Like, does that count as gossip? Well, no, because the, the, it's the result. The result of gossip is division and heartache. It's pulling people apart relationally, right? When you're celebrating and lifting people, hey man, did you hear? Andy had a new kid, that does not count as gossip. That's a celebration. Mm-hmm. Andy and Sarah have a baby. That is not gossip. So I want to I distinguish that. Like praise and building and edifying people up is not gossip. What happens is when you judge the intentions and motivations of a person, when you're casually and unconstrained having a conversation about somebody with facts that aren't even confirmed as facts, you're probably in gossip. When you're trying to get out the information to somebody in the form of a, a prayer meeting, it might be gossip. Does that mean that you shouldn't pray for people? No. Absolutely not, always pray for people. But don't try to share the information and call it prayer. These things are gossip, and it happens all the time. And if I'm being honest with you guys, I was doing this all the time. I'm not slandering this person right? I'm not slandering this person, but they're different, equally as destructive. And so what do we do, right? If you've actually gone into James chapter three, um, it says this, it says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, this is in verse seven, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human contain the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And you're like, what? But you just said that if you can control the tongue, you'd be sinless. Now you're telling me there's no chance? And it's like half the story is, yeah, like there's no chance you can do this on your own. Right? Like there's there's no possible chance you could just do this on your own. Are you just. How many of you have tried to will yourself into speaking better? Right. I see this all the time with youth students. I know I shouldn't swear and say bad words. I I'll try harder. It's like you know what we need to do as a church. Like we need to try to not try so hard. Amen. Like we, we, you're not going to just will yourself into it. It's it's ingrained in the fabric of your being in the way that you grew up, and you expect to just will yourself to stop. First of all, that's not how God designed you. He did not design you to be independent. And I think that any sermon that we could ever preach at any point can come back to this. Jesus looked at them and said, Matthew 19, 26, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Yeah, I'm telling you, you're not gonna be able to do this on your own. But we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us we have access to God. It says that we ha- he could do more than we can ask or imagine. It says that he wants to release his fullness on us. It says that we have the authority of scripture, Jesus manifest in the very word of God. We have every tool we need with God to do this. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's in your heart? What's in my heart? How do do I fix my speech pattern? How do I become the type of believer, the type of person that when I speak, redemption and reconciliation happen? That when I talk, mountains move and God's spirit is able to have free access to people's hearts. How can I speak like that? Well, what's in your heart? Luke 6.45 says, the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. So you need to be storing up good things. Right? Like, it isn't really even rocket science. Like, we, we want to try to quantify this down and, and pull this apart and figure out how God's going to do all this. Just put good things in your heart, man. Because if you put good things in your heart, then good things are going to come out of your mouth. Likewise, if you're putting evil things into your heart, then evil things are going to come out of your mouth. And as believers, we can only fake it for so long. You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to know all of the the things to say. And we say them for a while, but... But at some point, man, it's gonna be exposed. It's always gonna come out. Because you cannot have good fruit out of a bad tree. And so it goes even deeper than that. We have to think, well, well, how do I get these good things in my heart? Where does it come from? Well, my second question to you guys is this. What's in your mind? What's in your mind? You see, the reality is, is that, that if, if the scriptures are true that, that the heart is deceitful, then we have to figure out how to bypass that deceit. And culture tells us to stop thinking so much and just follow our hearts. And that makes me feel very uncomfortable. If I just followed my heart, I don't even think I'd be in ministry. Can I just be real? Like sometimes my heart is just like, this is too hard. No one likes you. What are you even doing? You're not even that good of a speaker. You're just faking your way through. That's what my heart tells me. Why don't you just go do something else? And so if you're just listening to what's in the heart, you might be deceived. And so we have to go a step deeper. What's in your mind? Because the two are interconnected, Right? We always talk about, like, I know this, and I know this up here, now I need to get it from up here to here, right? And so this is what I'm talking about. It says, this, it says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I want you guys to listen to this, uh, this quote from Steve Backlund. It says, The highest form of spiritual warfare is taking our thoughts captive come on, there are all kinds of thoughts out there that are ungodly that we have to deal with. And I've made the mistake of taking an ungodly thought and being like, no, that's not godly, and suppressing it. The scriptures do not say suppress the ungodly thoughts. We actually have to deal with them, right? This is what I'm currently in the process of doing right now with with all the shame and and, and, and all of these other areas in my life where I'm receiving healing from, I've been intentional. As this emotion comes up that I've suppressed, as this thought comes up that I've suppressed, I'm actually facing it and dealing with it head on. And I'm asking God, God, what do you think about this? What do you say in this situation? God, this is how you take your thoughts captive. God, what do you say is going on here? Somebody tells me that I'm less than because I have color on my skin. God, what do you say? right? What do you say? And you take that and you wrestle with it and you hear from God. This is taking your thoughts, Captain. This is the highest form of spiritual warfare. Taking all of the things that, that are coming into your mind, the, the shows that you watch, the people that you have conversations with, the things that you do and work, and you take it in your brain and you actually systematically ask the Lord what he's doing, what he's saying, what he's thinking, and you make it obedient to the will of Christ. Amen? This is the highest form of spiritual warfare. Let's get into the habit of taking captive what's in our minds. Romans 12:2 says, "Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will." Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There have been several moments, you guys. Um, I can think of four since I've been in Wisconsin, where I've literally had to hit the reset button. I have no idea what to do, God. I'm just gonna start over. Would you just tell me where you're going? Would you just tell me what you're doing, God? Could you give me some encouragement? Like I'm a words of affirmation guy. It makes sense. I like to talk. Like sometimes I just need the Lord to be like, "You're doing good, man." Would you just tell me where you're going, Lord? I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna renew the way that I think. God, would you rewire me here? Would you show me what you're saying? This is how you can test and approve what God's will is. Listen to this, this is uh, uh, Steve Backlund again. It says, what if the greatest strongholds blocking the purposes of God are not regional principalities of demonic forces, but our belief systems in the minds of Christians. Right? I gotta, play. where's Bill? Can we just get him on the phone? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. The last question I wanna ask you guys, and it probably seems obvious, but I'm gonna ask it because it's really important, especially to the way that I've structured this message. What is in your spirit? You see, because if, if what's in our mind can connect to what's in our heart, then, then, then where are we getting the information that's going to our minds? How do we actually take that transformation of our mind? Where does that come from? Well, it's a very simple question or a very simple answer. It comes from what's in your spirit, right? It comes from what's, wh- where you're connecting with the Lord, what God is doing inside of you. It says this, and this is just so cool, the way that these two things connect because it takes away the argument that there's no hope for you. It takes, away, it takes away this stance that you can't actually do what God's calling you to do. It, it takes away the ability to say that I'm just gonna be stuck in my sin forever, that I'm just gonna be stuck in this junk forever, that I'm never gonna be able to make it past where I'm currently at, I've come so far, that's enough. When we understand this scripture, how God works in our minds and what he wants to do in our lives, we can fully comprehend God's will. Listen to this. Uh, it's a little bit lengthy, so, so buckle up. It says, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God, Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. 13 says, the things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them, because they are not spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has the mind of the Lord that they may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Did you see that bridge? We have received God's spirit. And when we actually accept that, it tells us that that we can know and discern the thoughts of God. Who can know what God is doing except those who are spiritually discerned? Where does it come from? The Bible says, like, very plainly, God gave us His mind, He gave us His attributes, He gave us the ability to discern the things of the Spirit. And so, if we're going to transform our minds, we have to understand that our minds are transformed, we're without excuse. We can't say, well, Jesus did it because he was God. Actually, we have the ability to have the very mind of Christ. We have the ability to know and discern the thoughts of God because he gave us everything we need to do it. And so when when our spirit is lined up with God's spirit, our mind is going to follow. And when our mind is lined up with our spirit and the spirit of God, our heart is going to follow. And when our heart follows the things that come out of us, the things that are welling up inside, the things that that just have to come out are gonna be life. And so we need to understand this as believers, that what happens in the spiritual realm will always manifest itself in the flesh. What happens behind closed doors is always going to be exposed. And if you love to talk, you're gonna reap the consequences, right? Is that going to be life or is that going to be death? If you could control your tongue, you would be able to control the whole thing as well. If we understand how the Spirit of God works in our lives, we would not sin. And I know this is radical for some of us. We have kind of sat ourselves into these concrete ideas that we're not going to be fully perfect until we reach heaven That it's delusional to think that God can move in such a way where sin becomes a non-issue. And I just want to challenge that way of thinking here, church. If the only reason that Jesus came so that we would stop sinning, I think that we've missed it. Right? There's so much more to life than sin and not sin. Sin was just the issue getting in the way. Jesus removed that on the cross, amen? We have access to the heart of God. We have the ability to discern and know what God is doing to understand his will, to carry it out in our lives, to have the grace of God inside us that can do more than we can ask or imagine. This isn't just about sin anymore. This is why Jesus says, this is why God says, be holy for I am holy, be perfect for I am perfect. He didn't just say those words. And we'll, we'll see it someday. God wants to move in us right now to have the ability to know him at a deeper level, to speak the way that he speaks, to understand the way he understands. He's given us everything that we need to do that. Listen to this in, in Romans. Uh, where am I at here? Two pages of notes and I still got lost. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Where's your spirit at? Are you understanding the depths of what God is doing? Are you living in accordance with the spirit? He gave it to you. If you said yes to Jesus, he gave you his spirit. You have access to know the deep things of God. You have access to things that you can't even imagine. You have access to the fullness of God right inside of you. And when you understand his fullness, you can allow that to transform your mind to be able to attest and approve what his will is. When you've done that, you're gonna understand that that the things that are pumping out of your heart, the things that your heart desires are the things that his heart desires, and then what comes out of your mouth is going to transform the world around you. Every single person in here has the ability To transform the world around them. What's happening in today's world is not your fault. You need to hear that. You did nothing wrong. because you have white skin does not mean that you have made a problem or that you're racist or that you what I don't care what the color of your skin is it's not your fault but it is your problem it is your problem it says that we are the hands and feet of Jesus that we are plan a That God wants to advance his kingdom, that he wants to do his will through us. And if we spend so much time focusing on the things that we're against instead of the things that God is for, we're going to stay divided as a country. We're going to stay divided as a church, and we're just going to simply be divided in our own hearts and minds. If you want to have access to speak the very words of God that are gonna produce life in a person's heart, you have to understand that you have the responsibility to do so. It's not just me, it's not just preachers and pastors, it's every single believer that the Holy Spirit has lit on fire to advance his kingdom, amen? And so we need to ask ourselves, what part are we gonna play in this? What words are we gonna speak? It's been so hard for me to share this story. because it's challenging my own belief systems. Can I be honest with you guys? When I came head to head with this problem, it forced me to realize that I was putting my own political agenda ahead of the very word of God. I'm not saying you are doing that, I'm saying this is, my, this is what I had to deal with. I actually had to admit that what's happening in our country is a huge problem and there are people who are hurting who need God's love. And I have to do something about it. And it wrecked me. It's challenged me more than anything that I've ever faced. There are times where I still struggle with the truth. But I know what God is saying. I know what God is doing in my heart, and I I pray that there is no guilt here, but there is a sense of responsibility taken, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that regardless of what we think is right outside of God's kingdom, it doesn't matter. What matters first is what God is speaking, what God is doing, what God is wanting to see accomplished in the context of our relationships, in the context of our lives, in the sphere of influences that he's given us. I always tell people, if you have breath in your lungs and he has you on mission, well, guess what? If you have a tongue in your mouth, he has you on mission. He wants you to speak the words of life that are going to advance the kingdom of heaven and defeat the kingdom of darkness, and you have the power to do so. Would you stand up and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for what you're doing in this place, God. Would you take that condemnation? I, I feel it trying to seep into people's hearts, God. Would you, just, would you just say no? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, you love every single person in this place. We just take a moment right now. Would you guys just open up your hands? Would you open up your hands with me? I just feel like God is just wanting you to receive his love right now in this moment. Would you just receive the love that God is just pouring out on you? Father, we just receive it. We thank you so much for your love, God, that there is no condemnation, that we don't have to feel guilt or shame. God, that we can stand in the truth that, that you love us, that you died for us. And Father, though there's no condemnation, Father, would you convict our hearts? Would you allow us to see people the way that you see them so that we can speak the way that you want them spoken to? Holy Spirit, would you enrich your presence in our lives that we can know you deeper, that we can hear you better, that we can understand and discern you more so that when we speak life happens. And when we talk, we will reap its consequence. In Jesus' name, amen.